0: Unorthodox's reporting from Israel, which we're sharing on the show this week, was made possible thanks to support from the Natan Foundation, the Maimonides Fund, and Tablet.
1: This is Unorthodox, and it's me again, producer Josh Cross. It's day four of Unorthodox's special week of dispatches from Israel. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, you know we've talked to a lot of Jews already. Today, we're bringing you some other communities living in Israel. After all, No study of the Jewish state is complete without meeting the non-Jews that live here, too. For today's episode, we talked to teachers and students at a Druze elementary school, checked out some apiaries run by Muslim women in East Jerusalem, and then we finished up in the Christian quarter of Jerusalem's old city with a visit to a tattoo shop that has been run by the same Coptic Christian family for 27 generations. Throughout, we got insights into how even the Gentiles among the population are finding their way in challenging times. Our first stop today is producer Ellie Blyer's visit with some members of Israel's Druze community. The Druze are an ethnic and religious minority that speaks Arabic and draws religious beliefs from Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But beyond that, many details of their religion are secret and they are closed to converts. Druze almost never marry non-Druze, so they're quite insular too. But on the whole, they're very loyal to the places they live, and nowhere is that more evident than in Israel. The Druze make up about 1.5% of Israel's population, but they play an outsized role in defending the country, with extremely high enlistment rates in the IDF. Eli visited El Massar Elementary School and Daliat El Carmel, a town that is 97% Druze. In one particular class in the school, 18 of 25 students have fathers currently serving in the IDF.
2: The the noise we're hearing, it's, you said it was...
3: The airplane. All
2: the time. We, we hear it all the time. It's the army? Yeah, the army. This is Maisun Fahardin, a teacher at El Masar Elementary School in Daliat El Carmel, next to Haifa. Maisun led me into a sunlit office on the first floor of the school. There, I spoke with her and Marwan, the school's English teacher, about what it's like to teach with a war going on, a war that has taken many of the students' fathers far away
3: it's difficult for everyone. One day, my students have become without one member or two members of the, their family since they joined the army. I have noticed my student showed symptoms of fear, uh, worry, and sometimes
2: sadness. Soon tries to encourage her students and their parents to stay positive. I told my, my kids, look,
3: there's uh, something good in this day. Let's be a little bit um, optimistic. And that's helped me.
2: The Druze community has the highest enlistment rate of any minority group in Israel. I asked Marwan why the Druze joined the IDF in such large numbers.
4: Being a citizen in Israel is, um, is something great. You know, you live in a liberal country, democratic country, we feel that uh, we are free people here in this, in this country. So it is our uh, duty to contribute and to give something to this country that is, um, that is giving us everything. So it is our duty to be part, an integral part of this society, of the whole Israeli society, Jews and Arabs and Druze and Cherkisans and, and uh, Muslims and uh, Christians all together. We need to be fully citizens and to contribute something to this, uh, to this country. So like others, we also are willing and doing our duties, fulfilling our duties in this, uh, in this country. That sense of duty extends into the education system, especially right now. Our duty as educators is how to make life a better life, how to change the reality into a better re- reality. Uh, I know that the kids in Otef Azza are feeling terrible but I am sure that the education system is doing a lot to bring these kids into a safe shore, right? And that's what we're doing here. And that's what the system is doing in the north of the country. But it's, it's a fact. We live in a very harsh and difficult situation. But we need to act and to act very actively and, let's say, immediately. Let's say. We have to act immediately. It was interesting for us to talk to you to talk to you and to talk to the public. Yeah. We are with you, we support you, we are part of this society, and we'll do anything to reduce tension, to reduce fear, and to give hope.
2: Without further ado, here are the children of El Masar Elementary School in Daliat el Carmel. Hello.
5: What's your Hello. Hello. Bye. What's your name?
2: My name is Ellie. what's your name?
5: And my name is Time. My name is Jude. My name is Yusuf. My name is, My name is Rusleyn. My name is Reef.
2: And how old are you guys?
5: Six, six years. Six. Six.
2: You're all six years old. And, and what are you doing now?
5: What are you doing now? Physical education. Physical education.
2: And is your teacher the best teacher?
5: Yes. Is your teacher the best teacher? Yes. you speak English?
2: Yeah, do you?
5: 50, 50. Where are you from?
2: I'm from Chicago. Where are you from? I'm from Israel. Hi, what is your name? Doreen. And how old are you, Doreen? Six. I heard that uh, your dad is in the army now. Is...
3: Yes. Do you miss him? Yes.
2: Do you have other friends in the class that their dads are also in the army now?
5: Yes, I love Hi. Hi.
2: What is your name?
5: My name is Juliano.
2: Juliano, and how old are you, Juliano?
3: Six. Where is your dad? In the army. Yes.
5: Yeah.
2: Do you miss your dad? Yes. Is it nice that you you have other friends whose dads are also in the army, so you feel together?
5: Yes. Where are you from? Chicago. Where are you from? I'm Israel. My friend is Mr. Beast. You speak English? Yes. You love Mr.
2: Beast? Who is this Mr. Beast? Everyone's telling you about Mr. Beast. Come for
5: YouTube, Mr. Beast.
2: What is your name?
5: My name is Jude. Nice
2: to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you. Are you his mom? Yeah. What is your name?
5: Arin. A-R-E-E-N. <laughs>
6: I'm a teacher, and I'm a photographer also. Not his dad, but we have uh, relatives from our uh, family in the army now.
2: Are the kids okay? Do they understand what's going yeah, on? Yeah,
6: everything, everything. They all, all the time ask questions and they tell us about the war and they want to... Enough. <laughs> no more war. They need the peace, the save time. The war, it's good or not good?
5: For you? It's not good. It's not good. Why? Why it's not good? Because... I am uh, afraid Afraid of Kamal. Kamal, in the army. There in Gaza, now, in the army. Alone. Alone.
2: Um, and you, you miss Kamal?
5: I miss him very much.
2: I'm sure Kamal is going to come back and he's going to hug you and he's going to play with you.
5: Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye, Jude. Bye.
3: Thank
2: Can you tell me what what they're getting right now? A a sticker for the pupils
3: who was great in the lesson. We support kids to behave well by giving them prizes. It's like a medal and stickers so they can keep on behaving well.
2: Can I talk to one of the winners? Yeah, of course. How do you feel that you got a medal?
5: Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy.
2: And what is your name?
5: Asil.
2: Congratulations.
5: Hello, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you. love cats? Yes. I have a cat. My cat is a uh, baby, have a baby. My cat.
2: And you love your cats a lot?
5: Yeah. Uh, yes, I love him so much. Hi. Hi, how are you? How's
7: it My name is Saleh.
5: And that's my daddy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Where are you from? I'm I'm, I'm from Chicago. And you? I'm from Delta Karma, from here. Your daughter uh, really loves cats. Yeah,
7: I know. My my other daughter also. She loves cats. Where are you from?
2: I came here because uh, in her class, I think many of the fathers are in the army. Yeah, right. I'm not in the army, but the other uh, dads why is it so important for them
7: to be there right now you know we as a community as a druze we feel that you know we are a part of part of this country and uh, and they want to contribute to the, to the country we, we did it all the time as druze community
2: is it hard for the kids to understand what's going on and to deal with all of the fathers
7: it's not easy you know there is fathers that already not here for two two months or something like that. The fathers are the heroes, and also the children that are heroes, and they, they understand the situation. Not easy, but they are heroes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And this
5: is my sister. Yeah. My name is Miran. Nice to meet you. Thank Bye. you, have a great day. Bye-bye.
2: <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, say hi to your cats for me.
5: Can I tell you about the wars that can I tell you about the stuff that's happening in Israel where the war is? Like we're in the home and we put on you on news and they say like there's people with guns that shooting people and the army has been come to save our lives, but we're here safe. It's very far away and still the war right now. You
2: feel scared or you feel safe?
5: I feel very scared. But I think I'm safe.
2: Do you have friends that you can, uh, you can talk to about
5: this? Every friend I have, I can talk about this.
2: What makes you feel better? How can you, uh, you know, not feel so scared?
5: When the war stops.
2: What do you do to calm yourself when you feel scared? Is there anything you do?
5: Yeah, playing on the Xbox and stuff.
2: What's your favorite game? Fortnite. Is your English so good because you play a lot of Fortnite?
5: No, not because of Fortnite. <laughs> because I watch on YouTube, like, people talking English. I, re- I learn from them. My name is Kermie, nine years old, from Israel. Hello, Ellie, my friend. Jude is talking with you. My friend Ellie, is from Chicago, and and he talk with me in English, and I talk with him in English, and we are friends. And thank you for coming to us, and I want you come another time.
1: For the next stop, Ellie headed to East Jerusalem's Central Library. That's where we found the Sinsila Center and its beekeeping project, which encourages Muslim women to cultivate beehives on their rooftops. East Jerusalem's a place where coexistence, political or otherwise, is a challenge on the best of days. There's not a lot of land and not a lot of jobs, especially for women. Beekeeping not only allows these women to turn a profit by selling honey and beeswax products, but also helps make their neighborhoods more sustainable. Ellie put on his beekeeping suit and met with Mona Suleiman and Tarek Nasser of Sincilla Center. The
7: pollination and the honey was made from Jewish plants and a Muslim plants and a Christian plant and from all over the area. This is Tarek
2: Nassar, Sinsila's founder. He wants the beekeeping project to lead to more green roofs in a city where vacant land is hard to come by. When getting it off the ground, it just made sense to reach out to East Jerusalem's women, the vast
7: majority of whom do not work outside the home. We have already 75% unemployment rate in women's sector in East Jerusalem. You know, they're waiting to do something. So it was a theoretical thing. Like if you put the hive on the roofs, they will produce honey. Bees need plants, so they will do green roofs around their hive as an indirect. And this is the whole idea started from there. So we started with 15. Now we have 130 women beekeepers all over East Jerusalem. We have around nine million bees in East Jerusalem, plus minus a couple of thousands. And this year we produced around 2.2 ton of honey. And it's kosher even. And we're selling it now here. Hopefully we will be shipping it in the future abroad. We established in a way, the first urban woman bee cooperative. So here you see, this is an example. It says, al-Tawil. It's the name of the woman. From the hive 31, it's stamped 75%, which means that there is honey stored 75% of the frame. And this is ready to extract it in the future. Tarek grew up in East Jerusalem as the 10th of
2: 10 children. He calls his family the Muslim version of a Haredi family. He trained as an urban planner and really didn't expect to spend quite this much time thinking about bees especially because he's allergic to them. But while studying abroad, he had a realization.
7: I was finishing my thesis, my master thesis in Germany in 2014. The end of 2014, I heard about the stabbing phenomena, like an Arab's young, 17, 14, trying to go and stab an Israeli in West Jerusalem. And I was shocked, to be honest, because I saw it on social media, and I was like, what the hell? When I was 17, I was like almost flying with a lot of hope. And then when I came back in 2014, I started to really talk to the young generation in East Jerusalem. I was like, what the hell, what's going on? What do you want to become like when you were like young? Because in my generation, I'm 39. When I used to be in high school, we used to fight, compete between each other. Who's gonna become doctor, who's gonna become an architect, who's gonna become, you know. And then I found out there is no hope in the new generation. And imagine human beings without hope, very tough. And then I started to say, I'm gonna stop talking and I'm gonna act. Because the only thing will brings hope is action. Nothing will change except action. Tarek told us
2: this while giving us a tour of the Central Library, one of the only functioning public libraries in East Jerusalem. Sincilla has transformed the second floor of this library into a communal learning space, there are models for rooftop gardening, permaculture workshops, and a large community apiary that its beekeepers use when they can't use their own rooftops. That's what you heard Mona, one of the project managers, show us around earlier. The whole project is about trying and trying again and trying again to make life work better here.
7: And this is really what you have to be doing in Jerusalem. Otherwise, leave. Missing hope, this is very dangerous. For me, it's why people, they will go and be an extremist. Why? If they don't have anything to dream about or to vision. So let's keep trying. We need really peace.
2: The real story of the apiaries is on the side of the library, tucked away in a small private garden. So I put on a beekeeping suit and headed out back. Can you tell me what you're holding?
6: So I'm holding the fire so we can turn it on on the bees so keep them cool. My name is Mona Sliman. I'm the project manager of the Bee Project. Today we're taking you to the bee farm that it has been created by Sinsila team. It's
2: like a little smoker.
6: Yeah. We smoke on the bee. <laughs> we will open this beehive now. First of all, we need to be very calm when, when we open any beehive so we cannot distribute anything they are working. We need to be calm. We smoke on them, firstly. Then we start by opening. Now we can hear the voice of bees. We're taking them out. You can see the honey here. You can see the pollens. What do you think they're thinking right now? Just to keep away from me. Are they angry? Are they? Yeah, s- they feel angry. If you hear the voice in, beside your ear, it means that maybe it can be dangerous. So you need to move on from here, especially if it was beside of the ear. You can recognize when, when it's very hard, the voice is very hard and the moves are very fast. You can know that it, it can be dangerous. You need to move a little bit and close on them. We're just making sure that they are fine, they are doing their jobs. Maybe if we see any disease, then we can do some treatments for them. Maybe we can cure them, maybe we can help them. And this is the work of any beekeeper, any beekeeper in the world. He do his job with these bees, without hurting them. And we don't want to hurt any one of the bees. So we keep it slowly. And after we're done with seeing everything, after we've seen the pollens, we've we've seen the bees, we've seen the honey, and they are doing their, their jobs very well, <laughs>
2: then we can close
6: very slowly also.
2: Do you have a, a favorite beehive? Uh,
6: from these? Yeah. Actually, this was my favorite. <laughs> That's why I open it. I like this beehive because all the time it's strong, it defends itself. This beehive is defending itself from any outside attracting. So I like it, I like this one. And all the beehives are my favorite also. <laughs> this is our farm. And we need to keep the bees safe from anything that can annoy them. You see how the moves of the bees in the normal times, It just... Calm, they're doing their job, they're taking the pollens from flowers, they're coming, they're producing the honey. So, this is their normal life. You can see it's calm. But when we open it, when we come into their job, <laughs> it's hard for them. We want the, the bees to live safely on this ground and we want this earth to be more alive. And this was why Cintila originally made uh, to to heal the urban farming and to help the, the nature. That's the main goal of Cintila Center originally. So now you'll get to try the the honey. How does it taste?
2: Mm. It's like sweet it? and smooth, and it's great. I love it.
6: This is natural honey from Jerusalem.
0: are excited to announce Tablet's first ever essay competition, First Personal. Our editors are looking for previously unpublished work by writers living in North America who have never written for Tablet before. They are seeking submissions on the theme of belonging. Where do you feel at home or no longer at home, physically, spiritually, or culturally? How do you find community or a sense that you're a part of something larger than yourself? Are there places where you feel a sense of belonging or alienation or both? Tablet is seeking personal essays about your life and your experiences, and how your thoughts and feelings have evolved over time. Tablet editors will review all submissions and choose their favorite five, which they will edit with the writers. The authors of those five pieces will be brought to New York City to read their story in front of a live audience. A guest judge will then select the winner. The winning essay will be published in Tablet and the winner will receive $500. For more information and to submit your essay, please visit tabletmag.com slash essay contest.
1: For our final story, it was my turn to go on an adventure I had been planning for years. This time, I went to the old city of Jerusalem. I was headed for the Christian quarter where I was going to get a new tattoo. Look, I know, I know it's against Halakha, even when they're in Hebrew like the reminder I have on my hand. But look, let's be honest, I've never seen more tattoos than the first time I walked through Tel Aviv. So at least I'm in good company. Each of my tattoos has an important meaning to me something I never want to forget. Whether it's the people in my life, ideas I want to hold onto, and after this visit, a permanent reminder of who I am. The tattoo parlor I'm visiting today, Rezuk Tattoo, comes with a 700-year-old history. The story starts in the Coptic community in Egypt, then continues into 16th century Jerusalem, and ends with generations of Gentile and Jewish pilgrims sharing the same artwork. It's this artwork that makes the shop extra special. In most tattoo parlors, designs are applied on the skin with a stencil or an application of ink from a special printer. However, this shop houses a collection of hand-carved wooden stamps, some of which are as old as the shop itself. You know those stamps you used in kindergarten that you rubbed on ink pads and used to put little duckies and puppies on things? It's just like that, except instead of rubber, it was carved by the current tattoo artist's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And I might even be short a few greats in there. I'll let this generation's Razouk, Wasim, take it from here.
8: My name is Wasim Razouk. I am the 27th generation of the tattooing family that has been doing tattoos for the past 700 years. This is our shop inside the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, I am proud to be part of this uh, beautiful heritage and beautiful tradition. You
1: want
8: me here? I need you standing up just to put
0: this. Oh, first okay. First, we put
8: yeah. this the stamp on. Then you would be sitting here. Yeah. And we would be working here. Yeah. Okay. So. So where do you where do you want it? Like under here? Yeah.
1: Like right? I was gonna put. Yeah. My goal was so that it hits right about the bottom of the shirt and pokes out. but it Pokes not, up a little Yeah. A little so about. around there. So we do it here. Okay. Perfect. Cool. So while you're doing this, tell me about the stamp. The
8: stamp is one of the 147 stamps that we have in our family that we've kept in our family for about six seven hundred years some of them are more than five six hundred years old and some of them are younger than 500 years old so three four hundred five hundred years old the reason why i use the 500 is because my family came from Egypt 500 years ago where we used to do tattoos for Christians in Egypt which is a tradition that is still alive where Christians get tattoos mainly with a small cross like this one I have on my wrist it's a small cross close to the hand so that copts and Christians can identify each other and this is also it serves as a pass to enter churches in Egypt because they were attacked all the time so this cross on the wrist helped the copts to defend themselves and make sure that everybody who comes inside the church is an actual christian so my family used to be one of those people who used to do the tattoos for the christian cults for 200 years before they came here 500 years ago that's why 700 years we've been doing this so when my family came here to the holy land they came on pilgrimage And just like most of the pilgrims that come here, they would come and they would bring their profession with them because this is, you know, a lifetime, a journey of a lifetime. It would take a long time for them to come and do the pilgrimage and go back home. So they needed a profession. They needed work so that they can support themselves while they are here. So my family came here and they brought with them their tools. Of course, the needles and the ink and everything and the stamps and this is this is where all those stamps come from the origins and then when they came here they discovered that there was also a similar tradition of tattooing christian pilgrims who came here to get a tattoo as a certificate and as a proof of their pilgrimage. so when they go back home they show their tattoo and that would be like the pride that they have and the proof that they have made it to the holy land and back and now they have a different status in life that they are pilgrims they've made it to Jerusalem so that's why we started making new designs in wooden stamps in wooden blocks made from olive wood that are more relevant to the pilgrimage of the holy land and as well as christian and jewish pilgrims who used to also get tattoos by the way which is weird but it, they used to get tattoos the lion of judah which is the one that we are going to use now it's an old stamp it's probably about 200 years old, 300 years old that was also carved and made in the Holy Land and it was used to tattoo a lot of Christians and Jews at the same time because the Lion of Judah represents both you know the tribe of Judah and it represents Jerusalem it also represents the power of God and in this specific one you see a sword. So the lion is holding a sword, which is the word of God. So that's a beautiful design that you're going to get now. I'm excited. Uh, Okay.
1: Have a seat. All right. Facing that way. Tell me about how the technology has changed over the 700 years. Not much. (laughs) The
8: technology has changed, of course. The technique of tattooing always involves two main things ink and the means to penetrate the skin so that the ink will go inside the skin and stay in there so you need something sharp and you need ink in the past they used shark teeth they used thorns later on they used metallic needles so my great great grandfather had a small piece of wood a stick where there was a few needles tied on it with a thread and they used to hand poke like one dot at a time so a dot next to a dot next to a dot will make a line and that of course can you imagine how long it will take but that was the technique then later on the electric machines came in and it became faster the same technique dot 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 dot, dot is just faster nowadays the machines are really advanced they look like pens rather than guns. Fortunately, actually, I like that idea. And they are easier to use. They are faster to use. The needles are now like cartridges. As you can see, this one is a cartridge here. So it's not like when I when I open my cartridge, I do not touch the needle. So it's a cartridge and in it, there's a needle which is already set and built in rather than me having to set a needle. And At the same time, I'm using batteries instead of Transformers, uh, electric transformers with a with a cable, so it's much lighter on the hand. So you can do a long tattoo, a longer time tattooing without hurting your wrist. It's lighter. It's cleaner.
1: The touch is lighter. It's lighter for the for the person getting the tattoo. Yes, I'm very curious about the Jewish pilgrims and what tattoos they were getting and when maybe the shops stopped seeing so many Jews. To
8: be honest, we see mostly Christian pilgrims but we have a lot of clients who are Jewish and they still get tattoos and the Jewish clients that we have are usually pilgrims if you like or visitors and they have heard about our shop and they like the, the fact that it's a historic shop it's not just a shop that has been doing tattoos for 500 years it's also it's historic, and we have the stamps that are also old, so for a lot of people, Christian or Jewish or doesn't matter, if they think that my great ancestors came to the Holy Land and we know they got tattoos, they most probably got tattoos in this place using one of those stamps, and there is a good chance that maybe this stamp was used to do their tattoo. so sometimes we get a lot of people who are like I've always seen on my grandfather who came to Jerusalem in 1950 something a tattoo that looks like this that looks like that what do you think which one sometimes they have pictures of them of the tattoos and we sometimes can identify which stamp was used on them so can you imagine how cool is that it's really cool
1: like, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean,
8: that's part of why I'm here. I don't have yeah. family members that yeah. have it, but I was like,
1: the vibe of doing that. Well, if
8: you think about it, you have no family members who've had it, but now you've had it. So maybe in, in a couple of generations down, you know, your grandchildren or your children would come to Jerusalem, to my grandchildren, and say, my grandfather came to Jerusalem and got a lion tattoo, which is there, where is the lion, and they can show them this, and probably they can get you know, like, so you can make the history yourself
1: they actually started to give me a little trouble when i was uh, leaving the states because my passport was completely blank cuz it's a new one okay. and so they you know the 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 israeli ll security gets nervous yeah, right they don't like and then i was like guys look at my left hand because i have a tattoo in hebrew right yeah. here on my hand <laughs> yeah and they were like oh okay and i was like yeah how many how many people are going to be faking to get a tattoo yeah oh that's nice so the tattoo helped shockingly yes
8: yeah what does it say Tachshov. <laughs> Tachshov. Yes. yeah i think yeah well you see tattoos how, how tattoos can help identify
6: mm-hmm.
8: who you are and sometimes in a positive way sometimes in a negative way sometimes a tattoo can get you in trouble but sometimes a tattoo can get you
1: out of trouble the thing that i try to explain to people is just this process of doing it it's exceptionally meditative yes and spiritual yeah like I wouldn't want more pain, even though it doesn't particularly hurt. Yeah. But like, sort of concentrating on that is very yes. sort of centering. That's right. So talk to me some about the kind of people who have gotten this particular stamp. Well, first of all, the design of this of this lion is, as
8: most of the other stamps, is what we call naive art. So it's a naive. Looking style line. It's not realistic at all. It is basically made of just Outlines you can see how the lines are not perfect because it's hand-carved The design is already hand-carved and that's why it appeals a lot to people who like authentic and original original things rather than extravagantly beautiful designs so this is a beautiful design because it's just pure and simple and it looks like it has been taken from some carving on a wall somewhere underground under the city of Jerusalem I was gonna say it feels very Jerusalem yes as I said mostly my Jewish clients Jewish American and not Jewish Americans who come here and they do want to get a tattoo but they don't want to get a christian design tattoo because (laughs) of the designs you know most of the designs we have are christian designs crosses resurrection crucifixion of jesus doesn't talk to them of course and it's not appropriate so they want to get something so the lion of judah is really like the design that they go to because of the design beauty and of course the 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 jewish the jewish meaning and the jewish reference to the tribe of Judah and to Jerusalem as well because the lion of Judah is the lion is also the symbol
1: of Jerusalem could you ever have imagined doing anything but this like do you have siblings uh, who went to become bankers
8: I I did not want to do this believe it or not I was I started very late in life I did not want to do tattoos my father was always telling me you have to start you have to start you have to do tattoos it's a tradition, it's a historic thing in the family. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It's just something in the family. One day, I just, and I, I thought in my head would not leave my head, and it was like, just as if God was talking to me. I you need to start doing this. You need to, and the thought would not leave my head. I had, what What the heck is going on? I was riding my bike, I remember. I was riding a motorcycle on a ride, on a long ride, and this idea would not leave my head the thought of me i have to do tattoos and i was like okay, i don't know what the heck is that so when i came back home i talked to my father and i said all right i think i'm gonna start and he was very excited very happy right away he brought the
5: machines he brought everything <laughs> started
8: telling me okay so this is how you do it he brought the stamps he brought the old book that he had with all the stamps with all the designs in it and he started telling me all about it and. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah. So I don't have siblings who do who do who do this. I do have two sons, and one of them is uh, he's 21 years old. The other one is 23 years old, and both of them do tattoos now. And I have taught them, and we are we work together in the shop. And uh, yeah, so luckily the tradition will continue. Yeah this is beautiful Came yeah really nice I'm We're, really happy already yeah really beautiful
1: talk to me about why it's so insanely empty today in Jerusalem
8: yeah well today I mean it, it's been empty like this since the beginning of of the war tourists just of course stopped coming and we are in the old city of Jerusalem the old city of Jerusalem is mainly although there are residents in, in the old city christian muslim and jewish residents who live inside the old city but the main traffic that is happening in the old city is when the pilgrims and when the tourists come in and they you know like roam around the old city so most of the shops that serve those people as souvenirs restaurants cafes whatnot you know those are the kinds of shops that are all over the market and with the lack of tourists now, so nobody is open, so it's one of the main reasons why it's been empty like this for, since the war. But today, specifically, there is a strike. And uh, I think it's an international strike, they said, as a protest to the veto of America to stop the ceasefire, to stop the war. And I think this is why.
1: In the vein of talking about why it is so quiet here, your family's been here a really long time. Yes. Through a lot of ups yes. and downs. Yes, a lot of wars, a lot how, of How do you all peace times, yeah. amongst yourselves think about we are in interesting times right yes. now, but we have been before? Yes. You have a different perspective on the city than say I do or somebody whose yeah. family hasn't been here a long time.
8: Yeah. Well, I was talking to my parents the other, the other day and I was like, uh, how do you feel about this? and you know they my father and my mom they were sitting and they're like well it's another one another one of those wars that we have always seen in our lives we live our lives in this country between one war and another between one conflict and another and it's really tough because it's challenging your life because you have dreams and you have hopes and uh, and you want your children to have a good life and when those things happen they make you question like when is this gonna ever end I mean like it's a beautiful I, I I was in Europe just in the beginning of November all all the month of November I was in Europe I was traveling all over and you know it's beautiful and everything when I came back here I'm like Nothing is as beautiful as this country. It's such a beautiful country. It's just a shame that those things are happening all the time. Those conflicts, those wars and everything. And it would be so beautiful if people can really just learn how to live with each other in peace, because it's a place that can be shared and should be shared by all who want to, you know, all religions. There's three religions here. We have to respect that. We have to understand that. Everybody has to understand that. You have to respect the Jewish right to be here. The, the, the christians right to be here and the muslims right to be here but they if they live in peace then everything will be okay rather than say oh this is all mine this is all mine this is all mine don't say this is all mine say this is ours and yes i understand that there was a, the temple and everybody wants the temple back and all that but i think this is something that has to be left for god to decide if God wants the temple to come back, then God will make the temple come back somehow. It doesn't matter, I don't know, like a big uh, uh, earthquake that will, you know, demolish whatever is there and I don't know, you, you know, or aliens would come from the from the, the heavens and say, this place is gone. But let's, we should not be doing this as humans. We should not be forcing this to happen. And if, you know, if it's it hasn't been there for 2000 years or so, another couple hundred years or another 100 years another 200 years or a thousand years it's god's this is god's will as humans we should not be forcing this to happen i think this is what it is that's that's what i believe everybody should be working towards the peace of this land you know this will be the most beautiful this will be heaven on earth this country will be heaven on earth rather than a country where everything is beautiful except for. The peace you know why it's a holy land it should be holy it's the peace you know it's the religion taught us peace it didn't all religions taught us peace so we should that's what humans should be doing right?
0: Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Stephanie Butnick, with Leah Leibovitz and Joshua Molina. We're produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. And our team includes Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, and Derone Ruskay, with help from Sam Hacker and Jordana LaRosa. Our team on the ground in Israel was Leah Leibovitz, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, and Ellie Blyer. Special thanks to Tablet's Armin Rosen. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger. Our logo is by Jenny Rosbrook. Our theme music is by Golem. we love to hear from you. Email us at unorthodoxatabamag.com or leave a message on our listener line, 914-570-4869. Until tomorrow, shalom, friends, and Am Yisrael Chai.